Hey, good morning, East Bay Calvary. Good to see you. Hey, uh, let's just have a moment of family time together, if we could. Uh, I wanted to bring you up to speed. Some people have been asking about uh, our home in New York and how things are going there. I wanted to um, share that um, uh, tomorrow morning we actually have a home showing and I know we're, we're, um, we're thankful, we're pleased. We've, we've had a few of these recently and uh, nothing has happened. And, uh, and I'm a little nervous about telling you this, about the home showing tomorrow, and, um, because I can't have 400 phone calls on Tuesday morning asking me how it went. And so, so here's how this will go, okay? So um, we'll, we'll let you know. Trust me, like if it sells, we're not going to tell you, okay? We will let you know if it does, but what we tell you this for tomorrow morning is we just need you to pray. We really do. If you could write it down, somewhere around 9.30, these people will be going through, and if you would, if you would partner with us and pray that God would um, really give favor and allow these folks to um, maybe go through it Monday, buy it Tuesday, move in Wednesday, and we'll be all set. I've had people talk to me and they say, Pastor, we are praying for the very right buyer. And I, and I tell them, you know what? I'll take the wrong buyer. I really don't care. You know? I've had people come and say, you know, wouldn't it be so neat if a nice Christian family, and I know this may sound bad, I'll take an unchristian family. I'll take anybody, you know, just whomever, um, just just um, partner with us and pray with us if you would, and, um, and that's, that's uh, tomorrow morning, right around 9.30, so we appreciate your care. There have been some people um, personally, with name and anonymously, who so kindly um, and generously have taken our family on, and um, we, we would not be able to make it if it weren't for our generous church family. And the Conover's thank you for your goodness to us. So thank you so much for being a good church family to our family. Thank you. I invite you, if you would, grab your East Bay Weekly and turn over to the back. We have um, some work to do together this morning. <clears throat> and then take your copy of the Scriptures and turn to the book of James and chapter 3, and we're going to be talking about a subject that, folks, is one of the most challenging and convicting subjects I could ever imagine talking about today, and it's our speech James talks about, he, he calls it the tongue, but it's, it's everything that we say. And we all know that we talk quite a bit. A lot comes out. And it certainly has an effect. In fact, the story is told about um, <clears throat> pianist Arthur Rubinstein, he was fluent in eight languages. He once told a story on himself, and this is a number of years ago. He came down with a stubborn case of hoarseness, 
And the newspapers at that time were full of reports about smoking and cancer, and he was scared that it had caught up personally to him. So he decided to consult a throat specialist. He said, I, I searched his face for a clue during this 30-minute examination, Rubenstein said, and, and it was expressionless. And he, he told me, come back the next day. And I went home full of fears. He said, I did not sleep a wink that night. And I went back the next day, and there was another long examination, and again, ominous silence. And I couldn't take it any longer, and I, I'm thinking the worst, and finally, I, I blurted out, tell me, doctor, I can't stand this any longer. Tell me the truth. I've lived a full, rich life. Doctor, what is wrong with me? And the physician said, the problem with you? You talk too much. That's part of the reason why James starts out in James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly and we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And part of the reason why James 3.1 says, let not many of you become teachers, <clears throat> you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly, not only because of the content needs to be right, but the reality is the more you get up in front of people, the more you talk, the more words that come out of your mouth, the more material there is to question or judge you on. There's just a lot of stuff out there. As one person has wisely said, if you don't say it, it can't be repeated. Another person has said, parents spend the first year of their baby's life getting it to speak. Then the next 18 years asking them to keep their mouth shut. Well, folks, there's no denying the reality that the most powerful muscle in your whole body, let's, let's come down to, to reality today, the most powerful muscle in your whole body by influence and impact is that floppy, flappy thing inside your mouth. And the section of Scripture we're talking about today talks about three activities of the tongue and it's going to give us this idea of what this thing is capable of and how we really should use it for the good. And I want to expand upon this today because speech back then was the tongue. Speech today is much broader than just the tongue, and it gets us in trouble in more than just the tongue. Can I, can I mention that speech today also extends to these guys through emailing? Many people have gotten in trouble through this. Many people have gotten in trouble through this, right? Many people have gotten in trouble even through this posting or Instagramming or putting a meme on Facebook, or Snapchatting, 
or flipping their phone around this way. And so we realize that the whole issue of our speech and communication is so much more than just this thing. We communicate in a number of different ways and we are seeing today that these forms of communication are getting people in big time trouble. I'm not even going to go into specific examples. But let's talk about it today. You got your study guide with us. I want to, let's just jump right into this thing. I want to talk about three activities of the tongue that the writer points out. And we're going to see that we stand to benefit from understanding these activities and how we can use them to show that our faith is real and how we can impact people. Here's activity number one. The tongue or our speech directs one's whole life. The tongue directs one's whole life. Now there's a couple really neat examples that James, the writer, gives to explain this main truth of this directing of one's whole life. So notice as we walk into the passage He mentions in verse number two, we all stumble in many ways. And anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. So let me just ask you, um, have you ever stumbled in what you've said? Anyone never stumble in what they say? Okay, so we're all in the same boat here this morning. We have all stumbled in what we've said. No one here is perfect and Since we are in that boat, if we were perfect, though, we would be able to keep our whole body in check. Notice the two examples in verse 3. When we we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now we're talking about directing the whole animal. Or verse 4, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds... They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So here's the two examples that the tongue, although small, directs the whole life. And the first example is the horse. The bit is in the horse's mouth. It manipulates or puts pressure on the horse's tongue. And as the text mentions, when it clamps down or puts pressure on the horse's tongue, it not only moves the mouth. The idea isn't, let's move the horse's mouth. The idea is, let's move the whole body of the horse. The same thing with the ship. The rudder is this little tiny portion in the back of the ship, and it's not, let's just move the rudder, but let's maneuver the whole ship. And so the Bible says this tongue, although it's a very small member, it's actually going to move your whole life and the lives of other people around you. And the point is being driven home. Your tongue doesn't just affect your mouth. It affects your entirety. Listen to this. 
Maybe you've had pretty free speech and you've said an unguarded statement and suddenly found yourself in a fight. Your tongue has forced the rest of your body to defend itself. Husbands, when you say those insensitive words to your wife, it's not just your mouth that sleeps on the couch. Those quarrels in the home, they set a direction for your marriage. They set expectations for your children of what marriage looks like. Boasting about our abilities now forces ourselves to prove it. I love this one quote. A turtle lays a thousand eggs without anyone knowing but when the hen lays an egg, the whole countryside is informed. You know, this boasting. Gossip and slander, we think, no big deal. But it directs others to think of an individual in a poor way. Think about complaining words. Stir up yourself and others beyond what should ever be. And all that negativity even can make us look ugly. Those flirty words we think are no big deal. And they direct one to cross lines in their relationship or in their marriage that should never be crossed, ever. The lies that we use to get out of trouble cause us to work overtime to keep the truth from being exposed. And the words of hatred to a relative direct the next number of months or years of a relationship where birthdays and holidays pass and never a connection is made. And we realize our tongue sets a course or a direction for our entire life and even the lives of others. And just like a bit turns the whole horse or a rudder the whole ship, the tongue, the whole life. Some other Bible examples of the direction a tongue can take people. Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Here's how we can handle things. A gentle answer stops it. However, a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 10, 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent holds their tongues. Our tongues not only impact just us and just our mouths or just a small portion of our lives, it impacts our whole lives. It impacts the lives of other people. Our, hung, our tongues handle and direct our whole life. Here's number two. The tongue can do a lot of damage. The tongue can do a lot of damage. It's interesting that the description that 
James gives now beyond the description of the direction with the horse and the ship. Now he gives descriptions of damage. Like look at verse 5. He said, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. And then it goes, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. And what a vivid picture the text gives that the tongue can do a a lot of destructive work. Here it mentions fire, and and, um, Warren Wearsby spoke of he and his wife being taken on a tour of beautiful forests in California. He said they came to this ugly section that was burned out. And as they drove by, not only was the face of nature scarred, but they came to this ugly section that was completely wiped out and burned out. And as they drove by, um, there was millions of dollars of valuable timber that was just completely gone and there was scorched earth in front of them, and the tour guide uttered under his breath as they drove past the blackened earth, someone's lit cigarette. Of course, there's the great folklore of the Chicago fire of 1871 that wiped out over 17,500 buildings left over 100,000 people homeless, killed 300 people, cost the city over $400 million back in that day. All because, rumor has it, Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern in the barn. I want to show you something unique. Here it mentions in verse 7, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. We've been able to tame a lot of things. Verse 8, no human, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. true. The text gives us a little um, glimpse into something. We've got a little buddy at home, our little Lola May. She's, uh, I think she's about four or five months old, little black lab, and we're trying to train her. Eh, It's going fairly well. Treats go a long way. But we're seeing a little bit of progress with her, and the sit, and the stay, and going potty, and trying to keep her down, 
all of those things. And, and it's interesting, though, we have some older dogs as well, and they know all the stuff down pat, you know. It's kind of fun when you can see breakthroughs and that they're actually learning. Training, we've been able to and do little things like that, and then you go on TV or you go to a circus or you see other things, and it's, you marvel when they then can train lions or elephants, and wow, look at all these amazing feats that people can do. And the text says, and the wording is unique. No human being, though, can tame the tongue. Now, the wording is specific, and I believe it's there intentionally. There's one thing that mankind can't do. We need help from the outside. And that's this guy in here. No man, we haven't been able to master this. We need help. And we're going to talk about that at the end. And can I just draw us in? I don't think there's a single person in this room, myself included, that doesn't need help with our tongue. And I would love to think, here's three ways we can master our own tongue. And it's not going to happen we need help from the inside, from God himself. We're going to talk about that at the end. But let me jump to our third point, and we're going to finish up with this. The tongue can bring a lot of healing. This is the beauty can do a lot of damage, but it can bring a lot of healing. And beginning in verse 9, and I know the text talks about both elements. And I want to focus on the one because just before it, it focused on the damage. Here's the healing. <clears throat> With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt Spring produce fresh water. And I think we see where the writer is driving, like we can't have both come out of the same spring. There needs to be freshness. There needs to be blessing. There needs to be wholeness. There needs to be healing. And the tongue can bring that. I want to give you a few verses, and we're going to wade into this Proverbs 18.4, the words of the mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. Proverbs 12.25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Proverbs 25.12, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the word of the wise to a listening ear. 
And folks, your words, your speech can be a refreshing fountain and a nourishing tree, the text says. You can be freshness and healing and nourishment to a shriveled and parched heart. Your words can be gas in someone's empty tank. And we've all been there. I've been there. It wasn't actually too long ago I was there. If I can... um, just be honest with you for a moment. Probably four years ago, I was actually considering stepping away from ministry. And there was a person that with their consistent words over and over and over It was absolutely draining and weighty and taxing. And I remember feeling the death of a thousand cuts. And my prayers with God, I'm telling you, I came home once from a meeting with this person and and I remember praying God can you just let me out on good behavior I've served my sentence is there something else I can do And I remember going to my leaders and saying, uh, this person keeps doing this. And they keep saying this, and I need some help. And, and I remember um, they said, oh, that's just the way they are. And I said, but it's it, It's hurtful. You know the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me? Well, that's a bunch of baloney. They do hurt. They do weigh. They do crush. Sometimes it is, it is not the one, but it's it ends up there is a straw that breaks the camel's back. It is something that's over and over. And I just, I remember just feeling this weight and um, I wanted out. And I went to a trusted friend of mine who's now with Jesus and it was his words that were fresh waters 
They were a healing stream. And I would like to say, because I hate olives, they were the figs. It's like, Brian, no, 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 no. You can't let, you can't let one person. And I know it hurts. And you've got to keep on plowing. And I remember he would call me after that and you got to keep going. And, and he would comment on ministry and, and come on, you're a good pastor and keep going. Because those words, if they didn't come, I don't know where I would be right now. I remember the first person to ever tell me, Pastor, you keep on preaching and don't worry about what time it is. And you all have been paying for that ever since. And in our dry world, with no fresh water words, with no fruitful words, folks, our words can make such a profound difference in the life of someone, in your kid, in your spouse. And we need to think, what difference do my words make And do they bring that healing? Do they bring that refreshment? Do they build that person? Or am I a part of the drain? We're going to talk about more of faith works in the future, but I want to be very specific. We can't walk away from this without being very specific about our speech. And I want to talk specifically about speech from faith that works. What does speech from faith that works look like? And there's some plain scripture that deals with this. And I, let's just lay it out for us here this morning. Speech from faith that works bans a few things. The Bible's very plain. Here they are. You can look them up at a later time and focus a little bit more on them, but speech from faith that works bans these things. It bans, number one, complaining. If you look up Philippians 2.14... It says to put away all. Now that's a hard word. All complaining. Be a little easier if it was like most or half. But it says all. Some people are like, what's there to talk about then? You know? You know, this complaining is saturating our culture. Our world is set up to complain. 
Every store is a complaint department. Every TV show has judges that nitpick every little thing. Whether it be with their singing or dancing or cooking or decorating or designing. And we sit on the other side of the TV doing the very same thing. And then we play it out in our homes and relationships and and in our church and in our work. And it's self-focused. It's selfishness. It's I'm better. I have looked the Bible through and through and complaining is not a gift of the Spirit. And in fact, the Bible says we really need to ban it. That's hard to do. But imagine faith that works banning, complaining, what type of witness we would have in our world. Imagine complaining being banned at home. Being banned at church. Imagine if we didn't complain when looking for a cash register at Walmart. Amen. The same verse says banning arguing. Says putting away all complaining and all arguing. And you know, I, I, I really believe that Paul, in writing that, was on to something by the Holy Spirit because I'm trying to think of a time in my entire life when an argument settled an issue for good in a positive way. I'm trying to think of a time when I was arguing with someone and we were like hammering out, and the other person stopped and said, Oh, you're right. That's just, yes, you win. It's never happened, ever. In fact, every time it's made it worse. Every time it's gotten more inflamed, more passionate. It's not working in politics. Arguments, scriptures say, Proverbs 15, 1, are gas on the fire. And sometimes if someone wants to really duke it out, I'll tell you a phrase, it's not going to necessarily please them, but it will get you out of it. You're ready for it? Write it down. Here you go. If your spouse wants to go at it, if your friend wants to go at it, whatever may be the case, here you go. Here's what it is. You tell them, you know what? I love you too much to fight. I love you too much to fight. Banning all complaining and arguing. And here's the next one. Banning Ephesians 4, 29, unwholesome talk. The Bible mentions it plainly. Putting away all unwholesome talk. What is unwholesome talk? Wow, that's a pretty broad net, isn't it? For jokes, words, situation, curses, gossip. I, I think we know what unwholesome talk is when we say it, when we think it. 
And for faith that works kind of people, when our mouth begins to change and people see that certain things aren't coming out, people see that that person's different. Their faith is working. Not only from the negative side, putting things away, speech from faith that works develops some other things. And I want to give these to you. I think these are so significant in that Ephesians 4.29 passage. It mentions putting aside all unwholesome talk, and it says, minister grace to the hearers. And, And I really believe it's critical when the text talks about Ministering grace, speech from faith that works, develops grace. And here's here's what that is. Grace speech is speech that builds someone up. And grace is even if they don't deserve it. They may not deserve this nice word. But I'm going to give it to them anyways. They may not deserve the I love you, but I'm going to give it to them anyways. Whatever it takes to build them up, here it comes. Grace is what God does for us. Even though we don't deserve it and I'm going to do it for them. I believe in you. I love you. You've got this. I'm with you. I know you didn't do it well the first time. I think you can get right back up. Let's go for it together. Grace speech. Speech from faith that works develops grace. Here's the other thing it develops just a few verses after that, Ephesians 4.32, it develops forgiveness. Some of the best speech that some of us could do, even today, is to say these things right here. I'm sorry. For some of us, these words are long overdue. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I was wrong. And don't attach it to, but if you never did that, then I, no, that's, that's not really I'm sorry. That's you did something and it makes my situation look a little better. Just, I never should have done it. Speech from faith that works develops forgiveness. Even saying, I forgive you, and really doing it, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. That's speech from faith that works. Speech from faith that works develops, and here's the last one, love. Develop, it's love. John 13, 34.
hallmark trait of believers, Jesus said, is that we have love for one another. And speech from faith that works develops love. I have a pastor friend of mine. He's in his 70s. I just met him about three years ago. And it was, it was odd because the first time I met him, I, we went out to lunch and we were chatting. And as he walked away, he, he said, I love you. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. He loves me. And later he sent me an email. He said, love, Don. I said, that's really odd. I went and visited him at his college. He's a professor. I pulled up next to his car, looked at his license plate. Guess what is on his license plate? Love. Finally, I asked him, what's up with all this love stuff? He said, it's supposed to be the hallmark of believers, isn't it? I thought, you know, maybe I'm the weird one. Maybe he's got it right. Maybe we should be a little bit more about love. Maybe we should be saying a little bit more about this. Maybe people should be more assured of our relationship. Maybe it should come out a little bit more. Why should I hold back? Why should I let them question or wonder? Maybe we should be more proactive as believers. And I realize that these things aren't merely just a speech thing, so just go home and say it more. And I don't think that that's just the answer. Because the Bible talks about our tongue being not just attached to the back of our throat. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's why the Bible says no human can tame the tongue. It's a heart thing. We need God to work on our heart. We need a heart change. For some of us, part of that heart change means we need to give our lives to Jesus Christ. Some of the first step for people is to make Jesus the forgiver and leader of their life. And to realize, you know what, my mouth will change after I give my heart to him. To believe that he died on the cross to forgive me, to clean me up. Even my speech... And to get my life turned around. For some of us, that's the very first step. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me. And to tell him, please forgive me, clean me. I give my life to you. Get me on the right track. Forgive me and lead me. That's your first step. For those who have already done that, it's a daily 
God, here we go again. My feet are going to hit the floor. Work in my heart. Help me be like Jesus. Help me have words like him, a heart like him. Help me see people through the eyes of compassion, grace, forgiveness, and love. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I was touched this week when I read the story of a teacher whose one student was ridiculed because she had a cleft palate. She was the brunt of jokes. She was left out of everything. The girl looked down on herself and never was a part of any of the groups that were involved in her classroom until Mrs. Leonard went over to her, went up to her ear, and whispered these words that changed her life forever when she said, I wish you were my little girl. And talking about changing the story of history In 1855, Edward Kimball went into a Boston shoe store and talked to a young shoe salesman about Jesus. And that young boy believed that Jesus died for his sin that day, and the result, that young boy, Dwight L. Moody, became one of history's greatest evangelists, a man whose ministry still continues to this day. The tongue has the power to direct whole lives and affect people with this ripple effect onward and outward for years and decades and centuries. Our tongues are the most significant and practical gauge of our spiritual faith development. And it won't take long for people to be attracted to Jesus through this tongue of ours or repelled from our tongue. So let's think about it. Would you close your eyes with me? I want you to think about that. From our tongue, are people attracted to Christ or repelled? Are our tongues a fountain Are they a fig? Are they nourishment for our spouse, for our kids, for our coworkers, for the people that we come in contact with? Do people drink from our words and feel refreshed? What do they do? How are our words? Gang, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where faith really works. How's our speech? Could I ask you to really do some major soul searching at this very moment and do some serious 
commitment at this very moment. How's your speech? How's my speech? Would you talk to God about it? To have a faith that really works, have it work in our speech as well. I'll give you a moment of silence to deal with it. Just stand with me while I pray. Father, would you work in our hearts, make us a people whose lives not only are changed, but our mouths. May what protrudes from our heart and comes out of our lips be what is truly pleasing to you. May it be so healing and invigorating and encouraging and building for the people around us. Whether it be our spouse or our kids, our neighbor, our volunteer in church, God, grow our speech to show faith that really works. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name.